following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve. If you've been around Sacred City for a while, you probably know this. It's familiar. It's language that gets repeated often. It's plastered up on our wall. Our mission here at Sacred City Church is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. And, um, and really, the only way to go about that is by living in community and on mission, going deeper and deeper into um, the gospel. And really, that's, that's what God's desire is. It's his will for this earth. Like, we pray the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see this overlap between um, the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been going through the, for the last couple months, um, unpacking the most prolific uh, discourse that's ever been given in human history, and trying to see how it intersects with our daily life here in 2021. And, and one of the things that if you take our, our mission statement and you impose the kingdom language of the Sermon on the Mount over the top of it, you, you could get something like this here. Our goal here, in light of the Sermon on the Mount, in light of what God is doing here on earth as it is in heaven, is to raise up kingdom people, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to set up outposts of heaven or, or churches and missional communities, and to make earth like it is in heaven. And the foundation for this work is believing the gospel. There's no other way around it. There, it's not just a matter of, of social construction. It's not just a matter of mobilizing people with some sort of nonprofit mindset to make this stuff happen. The only way that the motor of this, that the power of this is by believing the gospel, and that's what believing in what Jesus has done for us to get us into the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we see what Jesus has done for us, the, the lengths that he's gone to to bring us into the kingdom, we also see that he's all calling for this radical reorientation of our life, that, that no longer is it doing things the way that we did before we met Christ, that now there's life after Christ, this resurrection life that he calls us into, which is a radical reorientation of our life, where we increasingly submit to the lordship of Jesus. And our, our worship this morning was all about this, right? Jesus, you are the king, you are the one, you're, you're better than everything else, we want to follow you, be my vision, the Lord over all. That is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, allowing his kingship to get into the nooks and crannies of all bits of our life. Now, if this is our, our mission at Sacred City to make disciples, plant churches, renew the city, to, to, to raise up citizens of the kingdom of heaven, set up those outposts to it becoming on earth as it is like heaven, how in the world are we gonna evalu- to evaluate this? How, how can we know if we're doing this well? Because... Like, like I just said, the gospel is so multifaceted, it gets into every nook and cranny of your life. There's just so many different places where we can look to and, and ask, like, are we doing it? Are we developing kingdom people? But Jesus tells us that there's one clear place to look. 
That there's one place where we can look and turn to and, and make the assessment of are we developing kingdom people here at Sacred City Church? And it's, it's not what you think it might be. It's not, am I praying enough? It's not my prayer life. It's not necessarily my Bible. It's not how, much, how many hours I log serving or how my church attendance or my missional community involvement looks, although those things are all part of the equation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus tells us the one place that we can look is your bank statement. The place where we can go to to identify is my life in line with the kingdom of heaven or is it not is your bank statements. You may not realize this, but handling money is one of the most profoundly spiritual things that you can do. Do you know that? There, like, it, it's, according to Jesus here and how he categorizes this, it's in the ranks of prayer and of fasting. Right? We talked about giving to the needy a few weeks ago, and now he comes back again to the topic of money. Now, the reason why Jesus does this is because Money exposes our lack of spiritual health, health or the, the uh, what's the word, I'm, the, the materialization, I'm not, that's not the right word. It, it, it's gonna show if we're spiritually healthy or if we're not. That's what I'm trying to say. Money has this power to identify, is our life producing spiritual fruit or are we not? Now, Jesus talked about money a lot, like, a lot. This is a topic that was at the top of the list in Jesus' ministry. In fact, if I were to preach on money as often, Jesus talked about money. I don't know if anybody would be here in the pews, quite frankly. It's like, first of all, I know we all tend to get a little squirmy. You, like, you get squirmy in the pews, I get a little squirmy up here preaching about it just because I know it's not people's favorite topic. But Jesus, time and time again, he comes up against. Now, when we hear this, when we hear that, that Jesus cares about money, when Jesus is speaking to us about how we handle our money, our, our tendency is to push back. It's like, Jesus, your domain is my heart. I'll keep a hold of my wallet. Right? That, that's kind of like the line we give Jesus. I'll take care of my wallet, Jesus. You can have my heart, but I'm gonna keep my wallet. But Jesus says here in this passage that your wallet and your heart are inextricably connected, that you cannot divorce one from the other. Therefore, the topic of money is among the most pressing and important discipleship conversations that we need to be having if we are committed to actually making disciples. Now, when it comes to money, there is just as much misinformation about money out there as there is true information about money. There, there's so many misconceptions about money. Now, one of the things that we see in the church, maybe one of the, the major misconceptions is, is just a complete renunciation. We denounce money because it's viewed as evil. It's bad. And so we see people, I don't know if anybody in here is doing this, but is making this commitment, this vow of, of extreme poverty, that money is bad, and the way that I become righteous is to move as far away from it as I possibly can. That's a misconception. See, that is just as dysfunctional as being money-obsessed and, and indulgently rich. They're both unhealthy views of money because money itself is morally neutral. Money is not good or bad. It's, it's morally neutral. What depends is how we utilize it, how we view money. Do we use it for good or do we use it for evil? Do we use it for eternal purposes or do we use it for temporal purposes? 
And as Jesus gets to these few verses here in Matthew 6, verses 19 and so on, Jesus' intention is to reorient kingdom people like you and me to have a healthy relationship with money. He's ultimately showing us how to build a kingdom portfolio. Now the reality is this, we all have a dysfunctional relationship with money. Everybody does. It's not a matter of if you have a dysfunctional relationship with money, it's how bad is your dysfunctional relationship with money. And the challenging part about addressing a dysfunctional relationship with money is that nobody thinks they have a dysfunctional relationship with money. We tend to be blind to it. And sometimes it's intentionally blind and sometimes it's unintentionally blind. And what this shows us is the power of money. It's the danger that money carries with it. Now, I was talking about this pre-service in the prayer with with the worship team and the the leaders, talking about the similarities between magic and money. Okay, if you can indulge me here in this fantasy world of magic, right? You, You read Harry Potter, you watch the movies, you know, there's a lot of similarities between magic and money. Magic and money, both are neutral. Magic can be used for good, magic can be used for bad. What you do with magic will ultimately determine what kind of a person you become. So in the the case of Harry Potter, he uses magic for good, right? He's the hero, everything goes great. If you're Lord Voldemort, you're using it for evil, it's going to create you into an evil person. It's gonna disintegrate you as a human. See, money has the same power. In fact, money has a power that is greater than magic, I would say. It's enchanting. And we know this to some degree, right? The power of money. That's why we associate wealth with power, right? It's the wealthy people in our world who are considered the uh, social elites. They're the ones who wield the power. Their money makes things happen. And so we kind of see this, and, and, and the, the gravitational pull of our hearts is to accumulate money so we can get the stuff that we want. We can get the influence. We can have money open doors, right? Just like a magic wand opens a door or whatever, unlocks the key, right? That, that's what money does for us. It gives us this privilege. It gives us access to comfort and security. So there is this power within money because we know this, that money can do cool stuff for us. But what we don't necessarily realize is the power of what money can do to us. See, money blinds us. And actually, it's more powerful than just blinding us. Money has the power to blind us from our blindness. It's that dark power. The the dark power of money, the dark power of magic, it blinds us to the reality. So, So much so that money can get in and get its grubby little fingers on us and start to overpower us and control us and then make us do things without being aware of it. See, this is what Jesus is getting at here in this passage and really where he's hammering this point, right? The blindness of money is within the misplaced verses of verses 22 through 23. So at the beginning of, of Matthew six nineteen, we see this talk about money. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where your heart, is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then we see this stuff about the eye is the lamp of the body. What does that mean? I don't know. And then verse twenty four talks about no one can serve two masters. You have to choose: are you going to serve God or money? So this middle part here, verse twenty two um, through twenty three, where he says the eye is the lamp of the body. I do know what this means. I'm going to tell you, but because I'm, I bet you're probably wondering. He says, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, 
We're wondering here, how does this connect? How does this passage about the eyes, the lamp, the body connect to the money passage that came before it, right? We got this money sandwich. How does this relate to the stuff that came before and how does it come, relate to the stuff that comes after? Well, when we look to Luke's gospel, in chapters 11, the, the same teaching here is present, where Jesus says the same exact thing, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? He, he, the same teaching is laid out. Now, what helps us in, in Luke chapter uh, 11 going to chapter 12 is that there's now a story where Jesus is unpacking some of the substance of this teaching where he, he says the eye is the lamp of the body, and then he says, watch out, be on guard for all greed and covetousness and materialism. Now what Jesus is saying here, when he's talking about the eye of the lamp of the body, you can't see, he's saying that money, that greed, will dim your vision and you become spiritually blind. See, that's the connection here. That, that greed will spiritually blind us. Now it's curious to me why Jesus would have to give us a warning to watch out for greed. Like, most sins, when you're committing it, you know you're committing it. Like, you don't roll over in bed and go, oh, you're not my wife right? You know you're committing adultery. Like, it's not a surprise. But greed is different. It's more subtle. It's more sinister. It gets in there and hides in the shadows. Now, this is why no one thinks that they have a money problem. This is why no one thinks that they have this dysfunctional relationship with money. To prove my point, when's the last time you confessed of greed? When's the last time that when you're spending time in prayer and confession repentance, when's the last time that greed was on the top of the list of the sins that you committed that week? This is, this is an area that makes middle class people probably the most vulnerable. Because our tendency is when we think about greed, money issues, we, we find ourselves sort of in the middle of the road where it's like, well, I'm not super rich and I'm not living this extravagant lifestyle. Like, I, I, you know, at least I give. This person, I don't see any trace of generosity even with all the wealth that they have. Or, or then we, we kind of get this superiority complex. We look at people who, who are less wealthy than us, right? Oh, they, they mismanaged their money. They couldn't keep their life together. And so what happens with middle-class people, our tendency is to get an inflated ego, to get this inflated view that I actually handle my money well and these people stink at it, so I must be doing okay. We have this sort of sliding subjective scale of how good I am with my relationship with money. But Jesus doesn't grade righteousness on a sliding scale. He, he has a standard of what it means to live righteously. Now, the number one identifier of somebody who struggles with greed is this. You think to yourself, I'm not a greedy person. If you're thinking, I'm not a greedy, I don't struggle with that. That's the number one identifier that you're struggling with greed because you're blind to it. You've been duped. See, this is how money blindness, how, how money gets in and darkens our eyes and so we cannot see. So let me tell you a few ways that this actually works itself out in real life. This is how you know, like let me show to you, hopefully I'm like lifting uh, the veil here so you can see a little bit clearly of how money blindness is actually a factor in your life and it's, it's propelling this sort of money issue, this money crisis in your life. It might be your job. You have a job that is literally sucking the life out of you. And I don't just mean like hard work, like Christians should be doing hard work. We should be doing the best work. 
but you've given yourself to a job that's literally dehumanizing you, that's emptying you of your joy, and the reason why you stick with it is because there's a good paycheck attached to it. Like, it's taking you out of missional community. It's keeping you from engaging relationally with Jesus, right, the long hours. It puts this tax on you that literally is robbing you of life, but you say to yourself, it's worth it because there's this paycheck that tells me. There's a number in my bank account every month that tells me it's worth it. Otherwise, everything else says it's not. You've been blinded. Or maybe not even just the the job that you have, but the way that you do your job. And, And what I mean by this is you do your job in a way that means your gain at someone else's expense. I had to wrestle with this before I stepped into ministry. I was selling cars um, at a local dealership. I had to wrestle with this. As a Christian, how do I, how do I sell cars like Jesus would sell cars? Right? Because my paycheck is based on commission. How am I going to do my business in a way that provides for my family, yet not take advantage of this other person? And if we're not asking those questions, what is going on with my microphone here? If we're not asking those questions, just points to the reality that we're money blind. See, the devil don't want me to tell you this because he's happy. He wants to take my microphone away because he's happy that you're money blind. There we go, not today, Satan. What about this? This constant impulse that you have to keep up with the Joneses. Right, make sure your house looks nice. Make sure you've got those clean, squeaky clean, nice, crisp cars in your driveway. Your neighbor put up a new fence. Oh, now you've got to put up a better fence. And it's not just your neighbor now. Man, I'm coming in hot. This is great. It's not just your neighbor now because you got, it's you versus the social media world. You've you got you to keep up with West Elm. You've got to keep up with modern living. You've got to keep up with all of these standards of this is what it looks like to be put together. But money just keeps pushing you. You keep going, 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 going. Here's another way that you know if you're money blind. If money, the topic of money gets brought up in missional community, with your family, anywhere really, and you start backing, backing out of it, right? that's a topic that you just can't go there with, you're money blind. It's blinded you. It's, it's put a veil over your face. Now, here, here's a, this is where it's really getting into the weeds because this is hard because I'm just as guilty. Actually, let me tell you this. Part of my sermon prep this week was to actually go back and redo my budget. So I'm speaking a little bit from some credibility here where the Lord's been doing a work in me and my family. But, but think of this. One of the ways that money makes us blind is to not think about who or where we're buying our stuff from. Like we just go to the cheap store, but we never ask why is this stuff so cheap? Like what sort of moral implications does this have to get a cheap product? What did somebody have to suffer in order for me to, to cut that dollar off? Or how about this? Oh, this is the worst. Not the worst. This is among the worst. God blesses you. Just provides for you and your family. He gives you a bonus, gets you a new job. Something happens in your life where your financial status improves, and instead of going back and revisiting your budget, you just keep your giving the same. Just kind of coast through under the radar. 
See, if there is not a proportional change in your income to giving, you're probably blinded by money. Now, money blindness and and intentional ignorance go hand in hand. I mean, there might be some unintentional ignorance, but, but intentional ignorance is part of this because most of us are okay with staying blind. Most of us are okay with not asking those questions that might have some sort of financial implications on our life. We're okay with not reviewing the budget once we've got that raise. We're okay with not evaluating our non-essential spending and our giving habits. Now here's where this gets spiritual. Because Jesus tells us that your heart and your wallet are connected here in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that means what your heart gravitates towards is ultimately what you're worshiping and what you're worshiping demands your service. This is why Jesus ends this passage in verse 24 by saying you have to decide. You can't serve God and money. You have to decide who are you gonna serve, God or money. It's not a both and. It's one or the other. Now, I've been in missional community settings for near 10 years at this point. And this is a conversation that comes up from time to time, and I know that when this comes up, people say, well, of course, of course I worship Jesus. Of course I want to serve Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't sing to money on Sunday mornings. I'm here, I'm singing to Jesus. I do community for Jesus. But here's the reality here. When we're talking about the lordship of Jesus getting its fingers on every part of our life, our Sunday profession of faith can be diametrically opposed to the profession that we're making with the rest of our lives. And what we have to do to find out what we're worshiping is follow the money. Because your money is going to point you to what you treasure, what you view as ultimate, what is most satisfying to you. Now, in these missional community conversations, right, we say, hey, we think that you have a a dysfunctional relationship with money. And and this is a conversation that happens in very, uh, this might be scaring people away, but a conversation that happens full of grace and truth, right? Because ultimately our goal for you is to be more in love with Jesus, that your affections with Jesus would drive more and more of your life. And so we can say out of love, hey, I'm concerned that you have an unhealthy relationship with Jesus, or with an unhealthy relationship with money that's interfering with your relationship with Jesus. That's a loving conversation to have. And we have these conversations, people push back, oh, it's not the money for me, I'm not worried about the money. But really, it is about the money, it's just what the money can afford us, right? It's what money gives us, it's a sense of comfort that we have when we live our lives, have this sort of like, you know, this nice lifestyle. The sense of worth that we get, right? To see a number attached to our name gives me a sense of worth. And security, right? The padding that you have in your savings account or the ease of life it affords you or the, ha- the happiness that it gives you. In fact, which is ironic because most people who have more money are ultimately the, the least happy people in this world. Or the sense of control, right? You, you get to choose your own destiny, so to speak. And so it's about money without it specifically being about money. It's what money can give, do for us. Now, if you opt to serve money, here's what you need to know. Because many of you are gonna walk out and say, I'm not interested in giving. I'm not interested in being generous. This is just the reality of our sinful hearts. Some people are gonna do that. If you choose to serve money, you need to know that money is a tyrant. Money doesn't care about you. Money says, hey, look what I've done for you. Look at the life that I've, I've given you. You got the house, you got the car, 
You got the nice vacation. You got to get this great education. Like all these things I gave to you. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. And it says, you better keep working at it. You better keep serving me if you want to grow that portfolio because when is enough? There's never enough. Keep going and grinding and build, build, build until eventually what happens, Jesus says, your eyes are darkened, your soul darkens. And if darkness is where the light is supposed to be, how great the darkness is. Like this spills over into the woe to you. Like if you choose to serve money, I just kind of feel bad for you. It's not gonna work out. Now, I watched the movie Soul this week, Disney movie, you guys seen that? Anybody seen that? Pretty cool movie. I loved it. I loved, well, it's wildly unbiblical, but it is, it's very interesting. I loved, I loved the way that it captured this concept visually. Because there, there's like this zone it talks about, like you're in the zone, right, where, where you're doing the thing that you love to do, whether it's music or sports or something about your career that you just love to do, relationships, like you're in the zone. And it's sort of this euphoric state of being, like an, almost an out-of-body experience, right, it has this, captured this beauty of this moment, but next to it is the reality of your soul is being lost, right? So in one sense, like you're living into your soul's maximum potential, the other side, your soul's being emptied and it turns into this dark thing. And, and one of the, the scenarios we saw this, it was a stockbroker. Somebody who's working in New York, watching his eyes glued to the TV, worried about doing these, chain, these exchanges and trades. And, and ultimately what it shows is that he gets lost in himself. He becomes this clouded vision. Like literally the character is a dark blob, right, of this. Like Disney gets it. Money's gonna blind you. It's gonna make you, it's gonna darken your eyes, darken your life, darken your spiritual life. So all he's thinking about is, is selling the stocks and doing this stuff, and what happens is he becomes hopeless, anxiety-driven, joyless, frustrated, and irritable. This is the product of worshiping money. And let me tell you this. You don't have to uh, be selling stocks for a living to get to that place, you don't have to make $100,000 in order to get to that place. It happens regardless of your income, regardless of your tra- tax bracket. If you let money rule your life, it will turn you into this hollowed out person. Now listen to this. Money blindness feeds into money worship, which will determine the quality of your life. If you're committed to, to money, if you're okay with being money blind, committed to worshiping money, you are inevitably going to live a subhuman life a life that is less than what Jesus intends for you to live. It's the life of anti-flourishing. And the reason why Jesus came to earth was to give us life to the fullest. The Sermon on the Mount is really a discourse about how to live the good life, how to get your heart in line with Jesus. That's really what true righteousness is, a singular focus on living with and for Jesus. But to, do, to live this life, to live the good life, to live the righteous life requires us to take off the blindfold, to say deuces to money blindness, to shed off the scales of this money dysfunction that we all tend to have. And Jesus tells us here, the way that you empty money of its power is to give it away. The way you empty money of its power over your life is to be a generous person. We fight the sin of greed with sacrificial generosity. 
There is no other way. Like if you're a greedy person, you can't just pray yourself, Lord God, please, today or tomorrow, will you make me a less greedy person? God is always gonna make you put your money where your profession is. The way you fight it is to be a generous person, to give money away, Tim Keller says, at eye-popping proportions. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying here in, in verses 19 through 20. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? He says, it's a vulnerable place to put your money here on this earth. Like stuff won't hold its value. Things are gonna break down. People are gonna steal stuff from you. That's part of living on this earth, but instead he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, hey guys, hey, those of you with money dysfunction, you, uh, you're putting your money in the wrong spot. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, that's putting our money behind the things that Jesus is about. That means tithing to the church, giving generously to the church so the church can carry out the mission of God, to train and equip disciples who make disciples. Give to charitable organizations. People that are doing good work, I mean, ideally give it to Christian organizations that are doing gospel work, but there's still other nonprofits doing good work in our city, seeing to the flourishing and the well-being, the, the renewal of our city. We can give to those charitable places. Giving to the needs of the people around me, right? Seeing the needs of the people in my mission community and being willing to step into those needs. Now, the tendency is when, when we lay out this idea, like the way to defeat greed is by generosity, we think to our mind, like we sort of rationalize with ourselves, well, I'll start tomorrow. Or I'll start, I'll start when I get to this, this tax bracket that I'm really aiming at. Like then I'll finally have money to give, and the reality is no, you won't. Because a generous heart is a generous heart regardless of how much you're getting in. Like Jesus points to the woman, like in the, there's a scene in the temple where these guys, these very wealthy people are putting a bunch of money in the offering plate and Jesus looks at this woman who threw in two coins and she says she gave more than everybody else. Like her gift was bigger than everybody else because it was a sacrificial gift. It was a gift that came out of, it hurt, right? That's what gen true generosity is a, is a gift that hurts. See, if you wait till you get more money, it's not gonna happen. Ge generosity is proportional to your income. C.S. Lewis says, I told you I have a lot of C.S. Lewis quotes for you this year. C.S. Lewis says, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Now this really draws us back here. Where am I at for time? This really draws us back to the parable that Jesus tells of the treasure that's buried in a field. Right? This man goes, he discovers, I don't know why he's in this field, but he, he, he's on a field and he's got a shovel. And he finds this treasure buried beneath the soil and he's so enchanted by this, like the prospect of, of the, the riches, the treasure he just found, that he goes and he sells everything else he has in order to purchase this land, and by, by default, that treasure now becomes his. He becomes about, he sees the value of it, and it moves him to move all of his chips over on the table and say, this is what I'm about now. See, that, that's a parable of the Christian life. Move all of our chips over on Jesus. This is what I'm about now. And the only way to build a kingdom portfolio 
the only way to invest eternally, the only way to put your money in a place where it won't be stolen or will it will last until eternity is to give your money to the things that Jesus cares about. Now, this doesn't mean stop paying your mortgage. <laughs> this doesn't mean blow off your financial responsibility so you can dump all your money in this. Like, you know, that's not gonna do it because then you're a bad steward. And Jesus cares just about generosity as he does stewardship, about taking care of what we have. To do this well, we need wisdom and we need prudence. We might need, like, I hope you're getting swept up in this vision of what it looks like to be a generous person so that you're thinking, I think I actually might need some help to become this kind of person. I might need some legitimate tools in place in my tool bag to help me budget and plan and do logistics so that I can become a generous person and invest eternally. And listen, um, Matt Wold, who's on our financials, uh, financial team, he, he's putting together this, uh, like really the basics of money, a couple, I think it'll be like a Saturday thing, um, late February, early March, sometime in that time frame, to help people put together a budget because some of us don't know how to do it. Nobody taught us how. Like our home economics class or parents dropped the ball on how to actually budget. And so this is part about being a disciple because handling money is just as much of a discipline, just as much of a spiritual discipline as fasting and prayer is. And then here's the other pushback that I hear all the time. It's like, yeah, I wanna give, or I tried giving, but it just, like, I wasn't a very cheerful giver. Right, doesn't God love a cheerful giver? That's what, that's what it says. You're just kind of like looking for a way out, right? You're gonna wait for the feelings to come, the feelings of generosity, and then it's like, oh, and then my bank account will be open to the Lord. Like, that's not how it works, people. It's a cop-out. It's a misunderstanding about the power of money because Jesus says we have a power, the ability to control where our heart goes, where our affections go, by placing our money on certain things. So the negative that was true about money, that our heart's gonna gravitate towards materialistic things, can also be true in the positive way. Where we put our money, our heart is naturally going to grow in affection for those things. And so you may not feel cheerful right now when you go to cut that first check. You might not be excited about it. You might be like kicking yourself like, dang it, Jesus, what are you doing here? But guess what? In a year, five years, in a decade, in 40 years, Imagine the kind of joy that you can have in giving away your money and laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. Now this is the redemptive power of, of, the God, of, of money. This is why money isn't just a bad thing. It can be used as a tool for the kingdom of heaven. In fact, money is one of the resources that we have to blow holes in the kingdom of hell. Where we put our money de- determines where our hearts will go, will go. Now, here's the reality here. Again, another misconception about money. Oh, Jesus, the church only wants my money. Pastor Sam just, he's money hungry. He wants money. The church, Jesus just wants money. Listen, Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't need it. All of creation belongs to Jesus, even your bank account. Jesus could go, pow, boom, your money's gone. It's not your money. It's Jesus' money. He doesn't need your money, but Jesus wants your heart, and the way to get to your heart is through your wallet. As he does this, as he gets to our heart, what happens is that we, our, our vision returns, the light swells back in our hearts, the soul gains vision, and we can turn away 
from our false comforts, from our idols, from the promises, the empty promises that money gives us, and turn ourselves more and more to Jesus. This is what repentance looks like. This is what the repentance of the sin of greed looks like giving money away. And as we give our money away, it helps us realize that Jesus is our ultimate treasure. First of all, we, we, we gain some sort of shared understanding of what real generosity costs us. Jesus gave away everything in order for us to gain the kingdom. Jesus emptied himself. That's what Philippians tells us. He emptied himself not holding on to anything, not even holding on to the kingdom of heaven. He emptied himself so that we could gain access through faith in him. And when we see Jesus and we understand, we share that understanding of sacrificial giving, it grows our affections for Jesus, our worship for Jesus. We see the lengths that he went to to give it all up so I could have something. And when we see this, nothing immaterial or material compares to the surpassing worth and beauty and glory that is Jesus. Nothing deserves our worship more than Jesus. And the only way that you can come to understand the beauty, the treasure of Jesus is if you let your, your money go. Now here's the good news though. Jesus isn't a tyrant. Money says, Go die for me. Pour your life out in order to get me. And Jesus says, I poured my life out for you. That's the difference. Jesus gave up everything so that we could gain access to the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately here, this is, this shows us what Jesus treasures. Like the, the parable of the treasure buried in a field it's a, tr- it's a parable about Jesus seeking out his church. That Jesus gave it all up. That Jesus traded it all in so that he could get us. See, that's how bad Jesus wants you. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. And when you see this, it, it, it compels you to live generously. In fact, the only way that you can live this sort of sacrificial, generous life is to experience the radical generosity of Jesus. If you lack generosity, it shows a lack of understanding of the gospel. But the gospel gives us the ability to see. Right? There's a reason why when, when the Apostle Paul, like he was knocked off his horse, he was blinded, the gospel made him see again. The gospel makes us see again. The, monthly, month, the scales on our eyes of money bindless peel off and we can see Jesus for the beauty and surpassing worth that he is. This is, the, this is what a healthy eye looks like. The lamp of the body, the eye. Right? You see Jesus clearly, your soul's gonna be healthy. The gospel unblinds us, it gives us a singular focus on serving Jesus, not just, not just of serving Jesus, but using our money as a way to serve Jesus so that other people will experience the unblinding of the gospel because if it's not greed, it's something else. Everybody's blind. Everybody is dealing with spiritual blindness and the way the mission of God moves forward, the way that people see Jesus is by by funding the mission of God, by investing our money in the kingdom of heaven and letting God go to work. So let me ask you, 
you're sitting here, probably giving you a lot to think about. Are you putting your money where your profession of faith is? If you say, Jesus, nothing is better than you, does your bank account back that up? Say, Jesus, nothing's more satisfying you than you. Does your bank statement say so? See, until Jesus is your ultimate treasure, generosity is gonna feel like like you gotta do it kicking and screaming. But if Jesus is your ultimate treasure, generosity is a privilege. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your wealth. We professed it this morning that you are rich in mercy. You have everything that we need for life and godliness and you give abundantly and we see this ultimately in the cross that Jesus gave his whole life. Nothing was held back. He gave it all for us. Father, help us to respond to that knowing that your intention is to give us life, to lead us into flourishing, to take us out from underneath the tyranny of money and place us under the tender lordship of Jesus. Open us up to us the way of life. Teach us to walk according to your spirit so the kingdom of heaven would advance here on earth as it is in heaven, that we would see citizens of, king, of the kingdom of heaven be added to the numbers daily. God, do this work in us. Make us a generous people but do so by showing us the generosity of Christ. Let that be our motivation and nothing else. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name, amen.